What is happening, everybody? Welcome back. Today, we sat down with Josh Teifke's brother, Willie. Yeah, I know it's been a minute. We've been crazy busy. We actually recorded an episode before this with my brother, which you guys did not get to hear, unfortunately, because we lost all the audio due to some technical difficulties. But uh, this was a really cool episode. We talked a lot about hunting out west and how to prepare for it and what to expect. So please give it up for Josh's brother, Willie Teifke. I didn't realize that. You're the older brother? I am. I, I'm aging really what is, well. What is wrong with you? How do you not? I don't know. I don't pay attention a lot. Like, I don't know if you've realized this. but You seriously a... thought I was the older? I, I guess I never thought about it. I don't know. For some reason, I just figured you guys like got shit out about, you know, within a year of each other. Or like you guys are damn good twins. Mm. Oh, really? Some At people 22. age like whiskey. Some people age like milk. I mean... <laughs> Here, let's, let's adjust it a little bit. There we go. Uh, anyway, I started... See, this is, happens every goddamn time we do a podcast. Burke gets sidetracked and forgets what the fuck he started talking about. I'm no mind reader, buddy. Uh, I was talking about that. Bobby and how we haven't taken that long of a hiatus. Oh, we were talking about the headphones. That's right. But then when you have the headphones on... You can tell when you're talking over each other because then, it, like, you hear what the listeners hear. So it kind of keeps everybody in check and makes sure that, you know, you give that, everybody that the floor. That would have been a help when, uh, when we had mm-hmm. uh, Michigan Monsters guys on because me and Dustin had our conversation going on and you and Chris had your conversation going on. That's when I decided and to buy everybody headphones. <laughs> yep. It was the one that right episode. after that. Mm-hmm. Awesome episode. Those guys are great, but that's, you know, somebody who's not used to the, the podcast right. gig, you know, it's an easy mistake to make it. You're not thinking about it like, well, they can't hear me, but these mics pick up everything. So the listeners are like, what the, f- what the shit? There's all kinds of shit going on. So anyway, plus, you know, that way it, it kind of helps everybody keep their distance. You know, you want to be way back here. You can't hear it or too close or it's too loud. So it kind of helps everybody. Man, so not not to like sidetrack from all that, but those guys at Michiana Monsters got me thinking. Uh, they're already like posting camera pics and all this stuff, and got me I, hungry, dude. I haven't even put any out. I mean, that that's one thing that we need to watch. I know that's a shitty placement for that. It's a it's a jerry rigged outfit. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, those trail cam pics saw the same stuff. Definitely got me fired up, which talked me into. Buying a trail cam from you, which I still needed to do. Yeah, I should have brought that down today. I didn't think about it. But I was going to ask you if you wanted the the two I have that are not cell cams. Because I've got four right now. And I, I don't need four freaking trail cams for one property. Hmm, I could use a couple more. So, I mean, if if you want them, I'll make you a deal. I know. I don't don't know if you've got your... You better make him a deal. It's your fucking brother. Yeah, let's talk off the air. I do. Uh, they're, they're, they're starting. They're starting to go on sale everywhere in these two packs and four packs for the inexpensive ones. Mm-hmm. And I don't need anything fancy for what I'm doing. So when they're behind the house, they're pretty easy to check. I don't need cell cams. Yeah, it's it's nice for you because I mean, what, you're on what nine and a half acres out there. Yeah, about that. You got that little peninsula of woods between a bunch of fields. You can just take the loop around the property and grab your cards all in one little. Half mile hike, and then you live in uh, mm-hmm. Indiana, right? No, no, Michigan. I'm over by White Pigeon now. Oh, okay, okay. Is it yep. you work in Indiana? Then is that what I'm thinking of? No, I I work throughout all of northern Indiana and just a little bit into Michigan. Gotcha. So you're probably thinking he used to live in the apartment complex that you managed or did the maintenance at. Gotcha, gotcha. But you know he has a good job, so he wouldn't bought a house like a responsible adult. It's annoying me. You're too far away from your mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. I move. 
I'm, I'm in one chair all day at work. I can't help it. I want to move when I get off work. Right, right. So, yeah. other Tyfki. This is going to get confusing because I usually just call your brother Tyfki. So, well, that's all right. Just if I say Tyfki, that's who I'm talking to. So, other Tyfki. Yeah. Right. So, you have a elk trip planned and you decided to go guided instead of not guided. Yes. So, elk in Wyoming this year mm-hmm. took me three or four years to build enough points to draw that tag. So I started planning, you know, early last year. You know, I knew decent outfitters book up um, pretty early. And I kind of knew I was going to go outfitted with this trip for a variety of reasons. One of which is Wyoming requires non-residents to have a guide if you hunt a wilderness area. Now, the part of the state that I was looking at hunting, either north or south of Yellowstone, a lot of that area is designated wilderness area. So I knew there was a pretty good chance I would be legally required to have a guide. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but can we, like, what is wilderness area? Because for those of you who have never been out west, like looking at the public land system, like there's different types of public land, obviously, state land, uh, national forest land. Uh, hat program or what is a hap out there? Is the same stuff. Hunter access. Hunter yeah, access. It, yeah, it's um, similar. I don't know if it's actually hap, but which is basically the same mm-hmm. thing as it is here in Michigan. Private landowners open it up for public hunting, and they get a kickback from the state. Blah 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 blah. But what what is a wilderness area? So you're right. There are several designations. Right. The the biggest one out west is BLM or Bureau of Land Management. Keep talking. I'm just they manage the vast majority of federally owned lands in the west. And gotcha. they, they balance use, right, between mining, grazing cattle, um, hunter access, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you've got your national forest, state forest, things like that. Designated wilderness areas, and that's a federal designation, uh, at least the way that I understand it. So it doesn't matter if you're in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, wherever. Designated wilderness is a roadless area where there are no motors allowed, right? Some of them go so far as no wheeled vehicles. So not even bicycles. You're Damn. you're walking or you're riding horses, mules, etc. Um a lot of the western states have a designated wilderness areas. Wyoming is the only one that requires non-residents to have a guide to hunt them. And it's not all of the wilderness areas in Wyoming have grizzlies, but a lot of them do. I mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I mean, I'm just just throwing this out there. I mean, I'm wondering if that's why that they would require you to have a guide. So I think that's part of it, but there's a lot of debate about that system actually, um, because there are plenty of grizzlies in parts of Montana, plenty of grizzlies in parts of Idaho. Um, even Alaska doesn't require non-residents to have a guide for wilderness area unless you're hunting, um, a couple specific species like mountain goat or grizzlies. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a big debate on whether or not that law should exist in Wyoming. And they say, hey, you know, it's, it's kind of for hunter safety. We deal with grizzlies. But at the same time, a lot of the guys that are hunting there as non-residents are coming from Idaho or Montana where they deal with the same thing. And they're going, hey, if I'm an experienced backpack hunter who spends time in the mountains, I'm bare aware why is Wyoming requiring me to hire an outfitter? 
Right. Well, and then yeah. you – Because that price difference is huge, especially. I mean, if buying your tags isn't cheap, but then if you hire a guide, I mean, I don't know what the average price is, but I'm assuming somewhere around 2500 bucks, 2000 Yeah. Depending it, on what you're going for. Yeah, it really depends on what you're getting, right? Is it is it a drop camp? Is it fully guided? Um, you know, kind of w- what are they providing? Um, but that's one of I don't know if you'd call it a, a conspiracy theory or, or or one of the talking points that comes up a lot is this was a a law that was really designed to benefit the outfitting in- industry, right? Which right. is a big draw in Wyoming, right? I mean, Wyoming is the least densely populated state in the country. And a fair amount of revenue comes to that state from out-of-state hunters or yeah. even in-state hunters that are hiring outfitters to get back into the mountains. There's there's not a whole lot of uh, – not, not a big economy out there. You know, when we went for Antelope, yeah. a lot of those towns, it was just, you know, maybe a gas station, and a post bar. office, maybe a bar, a lot of casinos, a lot of like slot machine casinos and stuff. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, anyway – um, so that was, that was interesting when we were like just driving through Missouri, they had slot machines and all the gas stations out there Yeah, in Montana too. Yeah. That's, yep. a, that's an Illinois thing. So a lot of, uh, a lot of States have legalized that as an extra tax revenue source. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if the State's all about collecting taxes, so mm-hmm. if they can find a way to do it and exploit people, you know, who have nothing but a trailer park and a gas station, you know, they'll find a way to take that trailer payment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I know, I know that law is there to, you know, help out the, the guiding industry and there's no economy out there. So, I mean, that's a huge part of their economy, but like even in Alaska that there's a similar law in place. I'm not exactly sure on all the, you know, legalities of it, but it, it's a similar, like you can't hunt out there in certain areas or for certain species unless you have a guide. Yeah. So I'm actually somewhat familiar with the one in Alaska and you can hunt most species in Alaska unguided, even really? as a non-resident. Isn't um, it just caribou and grizzly? Um, no, you don't need a guide for caribou. You don't, don't need a guide for moose. You need a guide for um, mountain goat and sheep. grizzly and I, okay. possibly sheep. I think sheep too, just because that's, I mean, you're going in some pretty rough terrain. Yeah. Dangerous situations. There's people that die. I mean, every year out there hunting sheep. I mean, you're in, well, you're in I, cliffs. Yeah, you well, said that uh, that Montana was the or Wyoming was the only one that required a guide for wilderness in the lower forty eight. Yeah, and it's the only one that requires it for all non resident hunters in wilderness areas. So I, I like, missed that first part. You said which state did you say? Wyoming, 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 and didn't did that recently change? Because I thought it was all wilderness area required non residents to have a guide. No, that has that has been the standard since I started looking into it in the last five or ten years. Um, okay. To my knowledge, that's never been a law in Montana or Idaho or any of the surrounding states. Um, honestly, I think if that law had been on the books, it probably wouldn't have gotten repealed because of how much money outfitters generate. Right. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was never a law there. I do think it's good for... I mean, it's obviously it's good for the revenue, but I think it's good for the hunters too, because there's a lot of people that think they're experienced, experienced backpack hunters. But when it comes to going into the wilderness and you're hopping up a wall tent and taking stoves and all that and whatnot, and you need a base camp, like I can see that causing a lot of casualties. 
Yeah, well, that's what I was getting at, you know, because I, I know for sure that Alaska's rules are just because, you know, they're in place because it's fucking dangerous. You know, it's not that they're trying to make an extra buck right. or whatever. So yeah. I'm assuming Wyoming's probably the same way. Um, so, so, but what, so you, you have to have a guide in Wyoming for wilderness areas. Uh, so why did you go to Wyoming for elk then? We tried Idaho and it didn't work. Didn't well, <laughs> oh, you guys, yeah, that's right. You, you guys know, already did one. So, I had a variety of reasons. Um, and before we leave the topic of the wilderness areas, you know, let's, let's make sure and let folks know that there are wilderness areas in a lot of these states out there, but that doesn't mean you can't hunt that state, you know, and avoid wilderness areas, right? So of all the public land that's available in Wyoming, you know, which is a massive amount, right? It's millions of acres. A very small percentage of that, maybe less than 10%, would be a designated wilderness area. So if you didn't want to hunt those specific areas, you could hunt out there every year and that law would never affect you. Right. right? Um, That's a good designation because you brought up the BLM and the, the HAP programs and whatnot. And none of that is wilderness area. That's we didn't, we didn't, when we were out in Wyoming, we never saw on our X any wilderness area and we went. I mean, we're all by the Gillette area, but we went, you know, it was a big area, you know, and we didn't run into any of that. So there are really only two areas in the state of Wyoming that have designated wilderness. One is around Yellowstone, um, which is kind of north and south of the park. Um, the designations follow a certain mountain range out there. So it's not it's not like a nice square zone. Right. Um, it, it's very hard to define looking at a map. Um, and then there is one area, uh, in the Southern part of the state by the Colorado border, which coincidentally I kind of bumped up against last year on a mule deer hunt where I wasn't the tag holder. I was just along on the hunt. Um, but we did hunt a unit along that border that had, uh, a chunk of designated wilderness in it. And we had no problem avoiding that part of the unit and hunting the rest of it. Right. As long as you have the proper equipment to let you know where the hell you're at. Um, yeah. And like, you know, come going back to Wyoming and, and all the, all the public land that's out there, like there is a lot, but one problem, and I don't know, I don't remember if me, I mean, it doesn't matter because nobody heard it, but the episode when my brother was on here, uh, I don't remember if we talked about it or not, but the big problem we ran into is there was so many sections of public land that you couldn't get to because they're landlocked. You know, so there's like mm-hmm. a lot of sections you just can't get to. And like we were hunting antelope and they know where that private land is. I mean, they'll just stand there and stare at you because they know you can't touch them, you know. So I don't know if you guys ran into that when you guys were out there. Were you guys, you guys did Idaho? We, we Wyoming? Did, uh, Wyoming for antelope and then went up to, so he had the tags and I was just along to drive. And if he needed help dragging shit out, you know, fell down the mountain and died, whatever, carry his body back to mom. <laughs> But we almost hiked into Montana on accident. We weren't even paying attention, but... When you guys were in Idaho? Yeah, you were looking, you're like, it's not that far that way that we got to stop and go back. Yeah, I wouldn't say on accident. I knew where the boundary was, where the border was, but we were hunting along the Continental Divide that kind of runs the Idaho-Montana border there, and there were multiple trails... That, that kind of went up to the border and then did a little J hook and kind of paralleled it. So you, you knew, okay, I can chase elk up to kind of where that J hooks and then use that as my boundary. 
and you guys were not successful in Idaho. In Idaho, um, that was a hard one. If he would have had any elk tag, he would have had one on one of the. I, I, what do we have? Two days left because we wound up. We took a like midday or midweek break because it was 75, 80 degrees. And right. my buddy Derek took us out and taught us how to fly fish a little bit. And Derek, that I know, but Derek, did, no, you never met Derek. I'm thinking of a completely different guy. Never mind. Yeah, no, you remember Derek. Derek is. He's a cool guy. Definitely different than most of my other friends. 100% straight shooter. But, uh... What the fuck is that sports for me, Tyke? <laughs> well, he doesn't drink. He's Mormon. He's married. He's all about the outdoors. And I don't think he's ever said a bad word about a single person in his life, so... Interesting. Yeah. Well, finish your story because I'm going to need another man. I mean, you side <laughs> you sidetracked me. I'm just saying we we took a break from hunting because we were hiking what like ten fifteen miles a day straight up on the one mountain. Mm-hmm. And you kept looking back like, is he going to have a heart attack? Is he going to have a heart attack? <laughs> Believe it or not, I think I did better than you in the elevation. You know, there, there's a big difference, and, and everyone talks about when you go out west, you know, and, and you're a flatlander, right? You were not at an mm-hmm. elevation. Getting in shape for these hunts, there's a big difference, you know, between the person who has the tag and has been training for that hunt for right. six months and someone who kind of at the last minute decided to jump in on the uh, on the trip and come along. You know, one of you has kind of been prepping for that climb, and the other one, you're like, eh, we'll see how he does, right? You know, so you're kind of taking a gamble and seeing what happens. Right. Well, yeah, well. I'm I not- did fine, all right? <laughs> you you kept up. There was no complaining, and, well, I mean, you made it back to the truck. That's I all I like, could ask. I feel like you were breathing harder than I was. You were carrying a 70-pound frame pack, and I had a day pack, so there's that. But you also rode down the mountain on your ass, and I didn't. I thought I was getting shot with a 7 mag when you did that, by the way. <laughs> oh, I'm almost straight at my face. All I'm going to say is you two are both lucky because I feel like you have the same, I don't want to, ego, I guess, like your brother has. Like, your brother doesn't like to be wrong ever. Yeah. Right. Very competitive person. I feel like I'll, probably, I'll admit it when I am, though. Right. True. So I was going to do a stump type keys and set of questions and put you guys against each other, have you guys write down your answer, give it to me, and then settle the fact right here on the podcast who's the smarter type key. It depends on the topic. Right. It really does. But I knew either way it was going to bother the shit out of whichever one lost. (laughs) (laughs) Meh. So, but I didn't have time because I'm irresponsible and I got here five minutes before we decided to record. But anyway, we started, what were we talking about? Different states. Oh, so. Did you take your medicine today? I don't think so. Makes a lot of sense, bud. Fucking ADD. Yeah. So. You know, we, we have done a couple other trips out west, right? Mm-hmm. So I did a uh, trip to Idaho with an archery elk tag uh, with a friend of mine back in 2019, I believe it was. Gotcha. And the the way <laughs> Turner the, the way the tag allocation system works out west is, you know, a lot of these tags are on lotteries. So I put in for an antelope tag in Wyoming, thinking that there was no way I was going to draw because um, I didn't have any points at that at that point. And I said, well, hey, you know, Idaho has this over-the-counter archery elk tag. Let me grab that. We'll go to Idaho this year and uh, kind of just do that as a, as a way to get back to the mountains. I ended up drawing the antelope tag. Of course, the seasons didn't line up. So 
I went to Idaho for a week and instead of two. I said, all right, well, we're going to split this. It's going to be four days of driving out west instead of two. But we'll kind of split this. So I went to Idaho, did the archery elk hunt with, with my friend. And it was a great experience. Um, you know, if you're, if you're hunting in the east, the first time you go out west, or e- even if you've been out there before, um, because I, I lived in Salt Lake for six months, so I, I have had a chance to explore a lot of mountains out there. Um, this was really my first time chasing elk. It, it's a learning experience, right? You're learning so much every day that, I mean, your odds of killing a bull are low, but well, it, it improves exponentially every trip. Not trying to interrupt you, which I've been doing the entire episode, but uh, the uh, was that during the rut? Um, it was the, the elk were bugling a little bit, um, so we're doing a little bit of calling. Um, spent four or five days running around the mountains of Idaho chasing elk. We were in the elk, um, had them had them talking back, had them interacting. Right, we were right in the brush, you know, it, kind of where they were bedding and everything. Just never did get one lined up for an archery shot. And with that, could you have killed one with a rifle? Yeah. Yeah. And the the downside of that tag is, you know, so the nice thing is in Idaho, a lot of their tags roll over. So my tag was an archery tag for any elk. If I didn't fill it, it rolled over to a spike only tag for rifle the following season. If you don't fill that, really? it becomes a cow only tag for the late muzzle loader. So if you live close... You're eventually going to kill one with something, right? Yeah, that works out, yeah. Um, for somebody who lives, you know, a, a 24-hour drive away, mm-hmm. it doesn't do you so much good. But when I, you know, we got into elk with, you know, with the uh, the bow, and I would have I would have taken anything, right? As a first elk with a bow, been super happy with a cow. Um, we actually. Uh, if things had worked out a little differently, I would have gotten one. The The last day we were on the mountain, uh, my buddy that came with me bought a black bear tag just because they're over the counter. And he was like, hey, if I'm going to be out there. I want to have some kind of tag in my pocket. Right. You know, at least give me an excuse to carry it right here. Um, the last day that we hunted, we said, hey, let's split up. I went back to the area that we had been seeing elk. He went to a different area that we'd hunted and said, hey, I'm just going to set up in glass and see if I can find a bear. While he was sitting there, he had a group of three or four cows. Uh, he was sitting on kind of at the top of a ridge with his back to the to the wind. And uh, the cows just trotted right up over the ridge about 20 yards from him. He said, man, if you'd have been sitting next to me, you'd have, you'd have shot a cow at point blank range. Shit. But if I'd have been sitting there, Shit. the cows wouldn't have came by, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing about, like, you know, going out west and doing all this stuff, like, there's a lot of living and learning kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Like, we found that out with uh, with bear hunting, even. You know, we went out and did a DIY the first time. My brother just went back out and did a guided trip. Uh, so, he's over for 2. I have never bought a bear tag. I've just been along for the trips. But uh, but he went over for 2. I mean, there's just a lot that goes into it, you know? And elk, especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've never hunted elk, but I can imagine there's the same thing. And it, it just sucks as you can't. I mean, unless you got one hell of a thick wallet you know it's hard to 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 afford to just keep going back out there and keep doing well, yeah, it and, and keep that, getting better at it you know? that depends on what your yeah. work is like if you can get time off if you can afford it you know how many people are going to split the cost of shit and i mean where i mean mm-hmm. 
where are we at on Wyoming and Idaho tags now for elk? Um, it depends. So they, they actually just changed. So when I went to Idaho in 19, um, Idaho is the most affordable state to buy a non-resident elk tag in. I think it was like 400 bucks, 450. Um, really? Yeah. It, was, it wasn't the bad. counter one, right? Yeah. Um, so they, they voted that year because they were getting overwhelmed with non-resident hunters. And when I say non-resident, you know, we think of, you know, us, right? Folks from Michigan driving across country to go out there. Mm-hmm. What we forget about is that all of the states out there, you know, where it's Nevada, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, have tags on, that are on lottery systems. Now, it's it's a little different for residents. Some of them are over-the-counter, right? Like Montana residents can go by over-the-counter deer and elk and stuff like that. But you get states like Nevada and Utah, a lot of years, there are resident hunters sitting there with no tags for their home state, right? Mm. Every Everything is on a lottery draw. Mm-hmm. And if you've got... 30,000 hunters putting in for 10,000 tags, that's a lot of people who only get to hunt, you know, maybe every three, four years. Right. So they'll hunt surrounding states. And Idaho, being real close, having decent elk numbers, decent deer numbers, and the least expensive tags, their resident hunters felt like they were getting overwhelmed with non-residents. And they said, hey, we need we need to get a lid on this. You know, we're going to, you know, somewhat reduce the number of tags that go to non-residents and to compensate for the loss in funding, they raised the price of their non-resident tags, right? Because that's, that's the balancing act that these fishing game agencies have to do out West, right? Is non-residents pay so much more for the tags that they provide a a huge amount of funding for, you know, these habitat projects, right? That, that, you know, kind of that sustain the wildlife out there, right? You're, Mm -hmm where it's guzzlers in the desert or invasive species control or controlled burns, whatever that is. Um, when, anytime they reduce tags, they've got to offset that funding. Right. So Idaho raised the price of their tags in 2021. Um, Wyoming is still reasonable. I don't remember what they are uh, because they actually have two tags. They've got a regular and a special. The special, you just pay more money and you've got a little bit better chance of drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's, they're about six fifty for an elk tag. And that was Wyoming. You said, yeah. So the, the over the counter tag in Idaho, that's archery only. No, that's the one that rolls over. So that's the archery, any elk or rifle spike <coughs> or what, what does it roll to when it goes to muzzle loader? Uh, cow only. Cow only. Okay. Yep. Right. Right. But I'm saying when you buy that initial archery tag. Or that additional tag, it's over the counter though. I mean, there's no yeah, no yeah. That, that that was over the counter. So Idaho actually has probably the most fair system out of all the states out there. There are no preference points in Idaho. They have two types of tags: a pure lottery and an over the counter. The downside to over the counter is there's still a limited number of them, and everybody knows, right? Like it's it's a huge event out west when. Tags go on sale, even if it's leftover tags that go on at a later date. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the state that hunts has that date like circled on the on the calendar, and they're online at you know twelve oh one or five oh one, whatever time they go on sale, hitting refresh on their browser so they can get the tag for the unit they want, right? Because 
they're over the counter, but a tag, you know, a unit might only have 800 tags and there's 1200 people that want them. Right. So yeah, it's over the counter, but you got to do your homework and know where you want to hunt, what tag you're getting and when it goes on sale. Right. Make sure you get there first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they're always changing their, their laws and stuff too. Like, um, Obviously, again, you guys didn't hear it because the audio was lost, but my brother and I were just talking about it last episode. Um, so it was Montana. We put in for our general point last year for mule deer, mm-hmm. and they changed the date on when you can apply for your mule deer tag. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal, except for if you don't apply and you have a preference point built up mm-hmm. or however many preference points built up, you'll lose them. If you don't yeah. apply, then the following year or whatever the hell it was. So mm-hmm. either buy a point or apply. So I was talking to you about that with Wyoming. I thought that I lost all mine. I just got an email last week sometime that instead of being like June or July when they were deadlining it, it's um, October. Oh. So I still have time. So that is... Yeah, that's different. So Wyoming allows you to buy preference points between July and October. Yeah. And you have to buy a point or apply every two years or Wyoming wipes them. Michigan's kind of the same I way, too, like with bear and uh, stuff, too. I think it's, I don't remember how many years it is, but so three or five, something like that. Mm-hmm. Brent, we have never been on a large game hunt together. Now, I do believe next year I will have... At least four antelope points for Wyoming. Dude, I'm down. I mean I you're gonna have the kid, but yeah. I'll I'll put in for a point. We'll start putting a plan together. I mean I'm down, dude. Antelope is a lot of fun. So for those of you who have never been out west and have been thinking about going, look into going. I mean, Wyoming I feel like is the easiest place to draw antelope tag. Yeah, their points are the cheapest too. Antelope points are about thirty bucks a piece. Yeah, and some of that has changed a little bit. Um, last year and this year, both, they put out like herd prediction numbers that they base the number of tags on. Right. And they have come back later in the year and drastically reduced the number of tags for uh, mule deer and antelope in Wyoming. I believe it was last spring. No, not, not this spring, the previous one. Uh, they got a blizzard in late March that uh, dumped a ton of snow. There were 10-foot snow drifts. God. Um, I, I-80 was shut down for oh, quite a while. But th- the problem was it killed a lot of animals just because of exhaustion, right? It, it uh, The snow lasted maybe a week. You know, it wasn't too terrible as far as I'm finding food. But when you have snow that's 6 to 10 feet deep, it got so deep that these animals literally couldn't move through it, and they just died of exhaustion trying to walk through this snow. So there were some pretty massive die-offs of antelope and mule deer um, last year and this spring in Wyoming. Uh, well, shit, the year we went, it was 2020, and they were in the middle of a, a very bad drought. I mean, there were the Powder River. We were camping right near there. We brought our fly fishing gear and shit. Mm-hmm. The Powder River was fucking powder. There was no fucking river. Yeah. Right. That's uh, that's kind of the ongoing theme through most of the western states is it's in a continuous state of drought. And some years it's worse than others. 
you know, the timing of the rain has a lot to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. If, if they get rain at the right time in spring to, you know, allow the vegetation to green up, then the animals tend to do pretty well. If that rain is delayed enough that the vegetation never really greens up, then they really struggle. Right. No, yeah, I hear that. Like, so there's just the population densities and, and like their their quotas and stuff. I mean, it's constantly, constantly changing. But uh, mm-hmm. it's just for those of you who want to go out west and like get, get the whole experience and just want to get your feet wet, antelope. I'm telling you, look, mm-hmm. look into Wyoming antelope. And even like, I know if you don't draw a buck tag, which I think is roughly when we did it, it was like three, 350 mm-hmm. if you draw a tag, which isn't shit. And it, but the thing is, though, when you put in for your, your drawing, you have to pay up front because they're, they're trying to avoid the problem of people drawing a tag and then being like, well, I'm, I can't fucking afford it. Well, and that's why you yeah. put it on a credit card. Mm-hmm. And it holds it until that time, and it'll just straight refund the it'll credit give it, card. It'll give it, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It'll give it back to you if you didn't get it, obviously. But three hundred fifty bucks isn't terrible, and you know, with gas prices right now, it's kind of a bitch. But dude, yeah, but think about it like this: for me, it's two tanks of gas to buy a freaking antelope tag. Well, I, that's what I was getting mm-hmm. at. I mean, it's still not that fucking bad. I mean, it, that's race, why I went race truck was getting terrible gas mileage when we did it because he didn't. That's he didn't replace Ray that sensor. Dodge. No, it wasn't that. There was a, some. He drives this. a five seven Hemi. That thing is not getting any better than fourteen miles of the gallon on the highway. I'm sorry. No, it does. Because I'm. He, there's a fucking sensor in his, <laughs> in his driver's side rear, his driver's side mirror, that he replaced and was supposed to replace something else or something happened to where it screwed up a sensor and like we were burning through fuel. We were filling up. My my brother would fill up, and we'd fill you know twice as much as he would. It was ridiculous. We went through a shit ton of gas, and gas was not cheap, but it wasn't five dollars a fucking gallon like it is now. And it's still no, sucks. Right, Why are you staring right. at me like that? I'm not lying to you. I promise. A Ray, sensor in his Ray, mirror. It was a sensor in the mirror. Right. You can address that on your automotive podcast <laughs> next week, okay? I was going to say, Tyke's wheels are turning, and he wants to solve the problem right now, and this is not the time or the place. I'm just just saying, man, I I got a 5.0 with both axles are locked. I mean, I got 33s, and when we went out west. He's in the hole. You can't talk anymore. (laughs) There there you go. That's probably a good call. I I got like 19, 20 miles of the gallon. Listen. Listen. But, yeah, I, I believe you. I believe I know, you. I know. I know. I'm just. <laughs> All right. I just figured if I didn't put you in the hole, you were just going to keep going with it. I'm sorry. Now I feel bad. You're out of the hole now, buddy. We'll bring it back on track. <laughs> I, I agree with what Brent's saying, right? As far as Western hunting, antelope is easily the most most accessible hunt out there, right? Um, the animals are very visible. Oh, right? exactly. There, there's no cover for them to hide in, really. I mean, it's just it's it's a matter of just getting out and glassing, dude. That also yeah. means there's no cover for you to hide in and stalk them. Which you would think would be a bitch, mm-hmm. but it's really not that bad. I mean, especially if you can shoot over 300 yards, you're fine. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the, the success rates are really high, but it's still a fun hunt, right? You're, you're going to see animals. You're probably going to do multiple stalks. It's probably the least expensive hunt to go on out there. Oh, yeah. Um, the downside is, you know, it, it can still be tough to get a tag. Um, in Wyoming, you could buy a tag every year. Mm-hmm. 
the the challenge is the units that have a lot of accessible public land where it's easy to go out and hunt, it's very tough to get a tag. Because everybody's trying to get out. Yep. yep. The, the units that you can buy a tag every year sometimes don't have any public land, right? Or they, they do. They've got like 600 acres and everyone in that county is covering it, right? And I have hunted antelope in parts of Wyoming where they weren't really pressured. And it's a ton of fun, right? And, and if you blow a stalk, not a huge deal, right? There's another herd, you know, a couple hills away, go stalk that one. Quarter mile, you got another 35, 40 antelope. And, you just, and see, that sounds like know. a blast. Like where we right. were at, there was so much well, that's because human presence. The unit he drew mm-hmm. was like a, he had, what, what was a 0.4% chance of drawing that unit? It was a 95 or 96% success rate. Yeah, but where I was going with that is I've also hunted them in units where there were, um, did one in Montana in, in 2020, uh, just because I could get the tag, right? I was like, I want to go back. I want to hunt antelope wherever I can get a tag, right? Mm-hmm. They are delicious. And it is, it was the complete opposite, right? A, a unit that had very low antelope numbers and very high hunting pressure. And that is a completely different game. Um, you know, we think of road hunting as, you know, the epitome of poaching here, right? Out west, <laughs> completely different. you know, it, it, it's a it's a whole different game, right? Because you can typically see uh, literally a mile from your vehicle, right? So you'll drive, a, you'll drive you know, a, a dirt road, a, a BLM road, something like that, and, and glass up to a mile and go, hey, okay, there's a herd out there. Now let me park and we're going to put a stock on, right? The area in Montana that I was in, these antelope had been shot at so many times, you know, from residents on opening day, that if they saw a vehicle slow down on a road a quarter mile away from them, they took off before even stopped. So that's like the the, the trick. I, at least in Wyoming, it was it was like if you if you're gonna road hunt, you would you would slow down and stop real quick if you if you found a one you want to shoot at. Right, mm-hmm. passenger would get out, grab his gun. And the truck would keep going real super slow because they mm-hmm. were they, they knew if the truck as long as the truck's moving, I'm not gonna get shot at. But then in the meantime, dude would set up and pop a shot. Sorry, just wanna throw that in there. Yeah, no. Works really well if you got two hunters. Well, I right. I think it's is it Nebraska? You can legally shoot from the freaking truck. Like the inside the, of the truck? Yeah, you, yeah. you can in Texas. So I don't think why, it, but I don't any, think Texas why, is legal. Any other state, I Wyoming don't is thirty know. feet. You got to be thirty feet from the vehicle. I, I'm gonna have to Google yeah. it. I believe it's Nebraska. You can shoot from the vehicle. I don't think Texas is right. I think they outlawed that. Well, we're from Michigan, so like when, yeah. when we heard, when, so my brother is the one that called, and he was like, "I'm reading the rules and regs, and it basically says you can travel with a weapon in the vehicle loaded and out of the case." And he's like. Yeah, yeah. Listen, sir. <laughs> He's like, you can drive around all you want with that thing loaded, safety off, pointed at your face. We don't care. It's mm-hmm. fine. Like, so it, it being here, like, if we got pulled over with a loaded weapon in the case in the back seat, it'd be deep shit, you know? Yeah, and just, that's just a where- whole, the whole different world out there, man. And you can, like you said, you can see forever, and that that's that's the fun part if if you're just getting into that west thing because. Mm-hmm. It's fun because you see so many animals and there's so many chances for a stalk. You know, I, I think me and Ray probably went on 
God, I don't know, 10 or 12 out of the couple days we were hunting, but it was just constant. You know, we'd find one and get after it, find another herd and get after it, you know, and a whole lot of fun. If, if, if you're, if you're thinking about starting out, Wyoming antelope is the way to go. Mm-hmm. You were talking about something and I think I interrupted you and I'm sorry. Um, if you remember. Yeah, I think it was just, you know, growing up, you know, we, we looked through like the Cabela's catalogs and you'd see mm-hmm. all kinds of like, vehicle rifle carriers right where your rifle like slides on the on the back of the seat or like the carriers in the in the center console there those are all for out west right right because every rancher out there like if you if you were driving around without your gun loaded you go what the hell's the matter with you what are you gonna do when you see a coyote right you know like everybody out there has a loaded rifle in the truck right nicest people ever too man everybody we ran into all the locals dude they were so nice the one rancher uh shit my brother my brother probably remember. I can't remember his first name, but super nice guy. He stopped by and talked to us a couple times. He had, he was the owner of, uh, so where we were hunting was there was a big chunk of BLM land and like uh, hunter access land. Mm-hmm. And he owned the hunter access land. So he was just kind of cruising around seeing how everybody was doing and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, what I was getting at with that is we were, because Wyoming has a rule. I think it's just on BLM. I could be wrong. But on BLM land, you can't camp more than a hundred yards from the road. Because I remember we had to be super, super close. Maybe it was just for that year because of a drought. Because they were super worried about campfires. There was no campfires allowed, and you couldn't get more than a hundred feet off the road. And so that was Wyoming or Montana? Wyoming, over by Gillette. Okay, we were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what year was that? Two thousand twenty. Because 2019, we were in Wyoming and we were more than 100 yards from the road, but, but I think this not much. But I think this might have been on we're just pretty close. But this was, I, I want to say it was just on BLM or well, no, that, whatever, yeah. whatever land that we, that was closest to the, because there was like, a, there was like BLM uh, state or whatever, and then there was Hunter Access Program land. It was all kind of mixed together. Yeah, no, it's, mm-hmm. so when we went down there uh, for his antelope hunt, it was, BLM like right here and the road went here with a two track this way and over here was private so we went down the two track a little ways pulled off into like this dried out pond area where clearly there had been a camp before pulled up in there popped up the tent got set up for the night you know we'd already scouted a couple antelope and whatever we got up out of the tent that morning and we looked across the road and I'm like Go shoot that one. He pulls up on X and goes, it's 30 yards across the border in a private I can't. <laughs> it was on the Dude. other side of the road. <laughs> yeah, which is a big deal hunting out west when you can see those very long distances. Dude, it was like 200 yards. You you have to have <laughs> that self-control because Dude, the, their laws are very clear. As the hunter... It is 100% your responsibility to know where you are at all times. Right. That road was the border until you hit the next drainage ditch. And then... Yeah, you you can't be like, oh, it wasn't marked, bitch. Not the rules. You know the rules. Yeah. And I think the the, the trust pass fines like 750 bucks. So it's not... Dude, and it's tempting. It really is tempting. Because there was so Mm -hmm. many times, like I talked about earlier, where, uh, you know, we, we we would see antelope and there's like you know an imaginary line right public and private and they would just yep. be like 20 yards 
20 yards into the private, and there's mm-hmm. just nothing. You know, it's antelope. It's not like elk or deer or turkey. You can't call them in, <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. What noise do they make? Do they make any noise Dude, I at have, all? I have no idea. I've never even heard. Because they're all sight, you know? They're really? all visual. I have heard them blow kind of similar to a whitetail. Really? Kind of like huff at you a little bit. And it. I think it's just because the wind was right. Um, I, I was out there with a friend, and he, he was kind of walking up to a herd. We weren't hunting. Uh, just to, to see an antelope. He'd never seen him before, see how close he could get. Mm-hmm. And the wind was blowing towards us. So when they started kind of blowing and, and huffing at him a little bit, we could hear it better. No shit. Did they pop up their uh, their butts? I, I heard their... Uh Sorry, this thing's getting awful echoey. Uh, you know, their their butts puff up and stuff when they when they take off. Yeah, yeah, they they flare that hair out, and it's like a uh, big white flag back there. It looks like a satellite dish on their ass. Right. I mean, which is you, all those talks we put on. It was like the ones that didn't work out. We never saw what happened. They just weren't there when we rounded the corner or whatever. You know. So mm-hmm. anyway, did you smell like corn chips? Yeah, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Ranella talked about that, and I didn't believe it, but yeah, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, been out west before. Um, you know, I I kind of picked Wyoming to do the elk hunt because I I had points there. Um, Idaho, you you've got some over the counter tags, but. I, I didn't really focus on that because, like, hey, I can buy a tag and go wherever, right? I, I tried to take – so there, there are different strategies to hunting out west, right? If you want to go on a regular basis, some guys will say, hey, I'm going to keep this over-the-counter state where I can buy a tag every year, use that as my backup. There are states where I can draw a tag with two, three, four points. I'm going to build points in those, and every three, four years I'm going to do, like, a, a bigger trip. And then there are tags that, you know – or maybe like a once in a lifetime draw or they take 20 right. points to draw and they're going, Hey, I'm going to build to that. And, and that'll be my once in a lifetime hunt. So how many tags do you apply for every year or put in points for? So it, it varies out of state. Um, out of state. I, I had been, I had been focusing on Wyoming and building points for antelope, mule deer and elk. Um, last year I started buying points in Utah because as I said, I, I lived in Salt Lake for about six months, and Utah is a very difficult state to hunt as a non-resident. So for a long time, I said, "Man, I'm I'm not going to get in that game." Um, there are some units in Utah that I could buy a point every year from now until I die, and it's still a complete lottery whether or not I get the tag. Right. So I, I kind of stayed out of Utah, um, but I loved that state you know kind of hiking around the mountains out there i've always wanted to go back and i've got a couple friends out there that hunt as residents they said hey look you know here's a here's a couple ways you know that you can draw tags you know so as non-residents we have an advantage where you have to buy utah license every year but when you buy that you can buy a point for every species residents can only buy a species or buy a point for one species a year. They have to pick whether it's um, elk, deer, or antelope. And then they can do like one of the once in a lifetimes like bison or moose. Mm. Hold up, hold up. So do you have to buy a hunting license or can it be fishing? Um, It has to be a hunting license. Okay. 
Which may come with a fishing license in Utah. I don't remember. Colorado is either or, correct? Yeah, which the fishing license is the cheapest one. Yeah. So that's what everybody goes with, but it's still not fucking cheap. We it's touched, like 80 bucks. Yeah, we touched mm-hmm. on that yeah. last week that you, y'all you can't hear. Sorry. <laughs> so there used to be a loophole with Utah. This year they kind of screwed us because they changed some dates. But they have um, like three, two or three months where you can buy points. And I forget the dates. It's like February or March or something. Um, but their hunting license doesn't expire January 1st. It's good for 12 months from the date you bought it. So if you hmm. if you buy your license in March of one year and buy your points, and then the following year you buy your points in February, you only needed to buy the license every other year. Now, this year they changed the date of when you can buy points. So I'm only going to get one year out of the license I bought. Right, it's going right. to kind of screw me out of one one year of the license. Right, right, right. But um, residents do have that advantage, right? We can build points for all species at once, and you know, there's a couple units out there. Where, uh, you know, one of my friends was telling me, "Hey, look, if you're trying to put in for this with a rifle, you'll probably never draw it. Um, it's a unit where one sixty to one eighty inch mule deer are a dime a dozen." Um, he hunted it last year. So, as I said, in Utah, a lot of time, residents don't draw tag every year. So, if you got a group of four or five buddies that go hunting every year, and you want to hunt every year, you usually just go with whoever has the tag, right? So, they hunted it last year um, with one of his buddies that had a tag, and it was, you know, they were just flinging arrows. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, man, there, there were multiple deer every day. Yeah. So I did start buying points for that, and they, and they said, hey, look, with a rifle, you may never draw. But if you can shoot 60 yards with a bow. Which isn't. Buddy, I've, I've that's seen a long, you shoot that's a 60 yards with a bow, and yeah. it, I, I recall there's a, a couple arrows lost in the yard. You know, it, it, it's a long shot for around here, but out west, that's oh. pretty common. Damn. Well, that he was just, loud. That was authority right there. I was just going to say, I was just going to address the fact that Willie was just like, I am not accepting the criticism. <laughs> I'm just going to fucking bypass that shit. And the, <laughs> the buck was like, no. Nah. There are, in yeah. fact, arrows lost in the yard. <laughs> well, when you're sighting something in, you don't know how far off the pin is. Hey, I, dude, hey. I understand. I get it. Buddy, I'm blind and I hit the bag. So... Um, <laughs> I, I am, in fact, shooting 60 yards regularly with my bow now in preparation for this elk hunt. That's good. Um, but, again, until the pin is dialed in, you don't know where you're going to Which, really, right? that's the biggest bitch about arch- archery when you're setting your shit in, when you start to get into those long-distance shots. Yeah. 50-plus, you're like, that arrow is 12 damn dollars. Yeah. So and, and you're like, hey, I moved my pin a quarter of an inch down, mm-hmm. and I was off by three feet at 60 yards, right? So you're, I mean, when you're sighting in, you're really trying to fine tune that thing. And once the pins are set, you know, if your form's good, you're all right. Right. But but dialing in can get expensive. Brent, we got into that like last week-ish when I was shooting your bow and I was <laughs> consistently lower than you. I think like, I don't know what it is. If it's my arms, the way I see, the way I look through the people. If your draw but length is draw different. Was, yeah, but I was just going to say draw length. I think you have longer arms than I do. Yeah, I got longer arms than him, too. But I got these little T Like, when you first started trying to shoot 60 <laughs> down at Ronda's, 
their mother. I hit the target. <laughs> you can't just call her mom. And you straight up, like, over the fucking top. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. Shooting your shit, I was low, and you were center mass. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, it, you know, makes sense. So, the a different draw length changes where the peep sight Sits yep. on your face. Mm-hmm. That's got essentially it. the rear sight on a rifle. If it's higher or lower, right. your elevation is going to be off. I right? got long arms, all right? Leave that, me alone. That's why a, a compound bow is dialed in for the specific person that's shooting it, right? You don't hand your bow to your buddy and go, yeah, here you go. You know, she's, she's right. sighted in. Well, like like a gun, still the same. Like, you don't want to just hand somebody the gun and be like, it's sighted in for you. Here you go. Yeah, they, they it depends if it has a closer than a damn bow, but they still need to shoot the damn thing before they take it they out. Do shoot need it to shoot a live animal that hundred yes. percent. You absolutely need to shoot any weapon you use before right. you take a shot at an animal. Egg Zachary, I had that conversation with my cousin numerous times. But that being said, a gun. If I say this gun sighted in, sighted in, you shouldn't have too right. big if, of an issue. If you're like no, two hundred mm-hmm. yards. It's sighted in for a hundred. Here you go. You shouldn't miss the fucking deer. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I sh- I shot three inches low. Well, okay, cool. You hit it in the heart. That's awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you know, I shot three inches high. You hit it in the spine. Cool. It dropped. Right. But yeah. you so, always, I always aim where I give myself at least a six inch window in any direction where it's still going to be a dead deer. Yeah. Without a. I mean, nineteen-hour track. It, it, as much as you know, we we all practice practice to you know pick pick one little spot and put that that bullet or that arrow exactly where we want it to go. Aim small, miss small. You know, we still remember that you know the vitals on a deer are about the size of a basketball, and really on an elk they're like a sixteen-inch circle, right? So right, you, you got to miss that shoulder, but uh, their lungs are big, right? So you, you, you've got a pretty big target there, right? Not to sidetrack, but Brent, you're a fucking dick. Dude, you brought the man. You know I love Manhattans. Maybe I'll take an old-fashioned. Are we doing old-fashions now? Do you want an old-fashioned? You know, I would love an old-fashioned. Please, and thank you. Where's the joke? I don't understand. What You know an old-fashioned is, right? And, like, somebody you off? Nope. <laughs> You've never heard that? Nope. Never asked the old lady for an old-fashioned? Willie, you? Which one? I knew what you meant. <laughs> Got to be more specific on the old. Like, like, part. That could be good or bad, though. I mean, that could just mean that I've got more practice. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. Could be good. Could be bad. I, I don't know. Depends on who you're practicing with. Right. But yeah. Anyway, I would love an old fashioned. You gotta like. So, how do you make it old fashioned? Orange peels. Orange peels in maraschino cherries, muddled with a quarter ounce of simple syrup, two dashes of bitters. And whiskey. Right on. Also, funny, I have jury duty and I got subpoenaed the same week. And I have yet to call the courthouse like an idiot. So I got to do that tomorrow. Just interested. Any of you fellows ever had that experience? I had jury duty where I never called the courthouse because they gave me the wrong freaking number. Wrong number for what? Uh, there were three numbers on the list. Like phone number? Yeah, that there were three phone numbers on the list, and I kept calling the wrong one, and not like it was just busy signal the whole fucking time. And the appropriate one was on the very, very back of the paper that I never saw. 
I never got a warrant, so I feel like I'm good. Everything's peachy. Well, anyway, just saying. I just feel like, hey, I mean, I don't. I was really surprised this dude took it to court. Willie, are you familiar with the story? Yeah. Thank you. Old fashioned, not a Manhattan. Determined back up now. Right there we go. Right. So if uh, if found guilty, we're basically gonna throw the book at you. Yeah, and he may also be liable for court costs at that point. I would hope so. Well, he's what is he contesting? The shooting from the vehicle, shooting from the vehicle, and across traffic. Which I mean, he did. He's an asshole. Well, like I told you, he's the same one. Like I, I can't technically prove it, but he's the same dude that shot the fucking geese out of season down at uh, mm-hmm. on Washington. Like, 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 no bullshit. Like, if you want to strip it all down, like, this is why people that are non-hunters give us shit. It's because of assholes like him. Because they pull off the side of the road and jump out with a handgun and shoot a bunch of geese in somebody else's pond. Right. Not, yeah, exactly. Or pull out with a fucking shotgun and out their goddamn truck window and shoot somebody's turkey in their front yard. And come to find out, like, thought maybe this dude might be starving. He's just a, he's just, he's got... He's loaded, from what I understand. It's in the family. I, I fucking guess. He's just a fucking asshole and likes killing shit, so fuck well, him. And that's that's a typical thread with poachers, right? It, it's usually repetitive behavior. you know. The, and this is, too. They said he's done this shit like this before, and they've never been able to actually, like, pin shit on him. Mm-hmm. Or if they have, like, it's basically been like a slap on the wrist, and then he's, he just keeps doing He's a repeat offender. Yeah. Continue. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. No, you're good. You know it, but there's there, there's that typical pattern of you know I I wasn't poaching because I didn't have meat in the freezer. It's a complete lack of respect for the wildlife, right? And right. you know whether they claim they're they're trying to relieve stress or, or whatever it is, right? Or it's their right to do it. You know we keep finding those cases, right? Where it's the same people year over year. You know you, you'll find a guy with nine buck heads you know stack up in his uh garage in february you right know, stuff like that For you know why why, why? I are mean, you are you know. talking about that case that was in dowajak decatur area earlier this year that the dnr was like that that was these, that was another one right i mean it same re- refresh our memory earlier dude gets methed out and goes out and shines deer and kills a bunch of 120 plus deer all of them eight to 12 point bucks they had nine of them they was he keeping the meat Please tell me. Was I, I don't know if he was keeping the meat. I don't know. That's that's all over the. Not that it makes the situation any better, but it, it doesn't. But that was the. Um, I came across Facebook on the MDNR website, and he had nine deer the first time they saw him. Then they mm-hmm. came back the following day after confiscating the heads to give him the like. Here's when you have to come to court. Like you're going to jail. And there was another deer hanging in the frickin' barn. Why? Gets methed out and goes out at night with a spotlight and shoots him. But, you know, I did read an article a while back um, where they they were interviewing several old uh, conservation officers from various states. Mm -hmm. And they said the the biggest impact they saw on poachers wasn't fines, right? Because a lot of times these guys, you know, if they're poor, they just don't pay it. Or if they're wealthy, they pay it and they don't care. They they're like, okay, well, just add the fine to my hunting. Which is what right. I think is the situation with um, Mr. Brian. 
you know, so they, they found that, like, the fines really weren't that big of a deterrence, but over their careers, what they found really made a huge impact on people was stuff, right? There were a lot of guys that said, I don't care, find me 2500 bucks." But as soon as you go, you used your truck and you used your rifle, mm-hmm. hand them over, all of a sudden that w- was a huge deal, right? Because people have sentimental value attached to firearms or it's their special bow that they spent all summer dialing in or... You know, it was, you know, the truck they were dating their wife in or whatever. Well, well and I feel like the DNR, because, I mean, I feel like everybody already knows watching this podcast. If you haven't, uh, you know, the whole reason this podcast shit started and me doing these things I'm doing is because I got, you know, some, some deep shit. Burt fucked up. Yeah, I fucked up. Uh, we'll talk about that at a later time. But basically, I, I feel like, you know. The, the the DNR officers themselves are you know they're they're just doing their job you know what I mean mm-hmm. I definitely lost my train of thought right there I don't know if you caught that <laughs> definitely thought for a second but uh, yeah anyway mm-hmm. keep going because I definitely lost my train of thought and I gotta fucking pick that back up and I'm just gonna mark that for it no you're you're good um, but I mean that's just that's all I was saying right is the the CEOs they interviewed, so they they saw a much, they had much better success in stopping the poaching when they started um, confiscating items than they did, you know, with just a, a simple fine or a slap on the wrist. Right? Oh, there we go. Can well, I can I can I interject again just because now I remember? On. I'm just saying. Yeah. Hold on. I'm just saying before I forget. You know how my memory is. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I was gonna say hold that thought, but go. I feel like they they use a lot of discretion. You know, like I I fucked mm-hmm. up. You know, and they told me. You know, if they wanted to, they could have taken my truck. They could have taken my bow, my gun, whatever they wanted. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I I feel like that's in place for assholes like dickhead. Mm-hmm. Mr. Brian, who do the shit that you know I just described, going out and shooting across traffic at a fucking hen for no goddamn reason. It's not like he's fucking starving; he's just being an asshole, mm-hmm. you know. So I feel like that's in place for 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 dickheads like that, you know, like to they can lay down the law when they need to. Anyway, Tyfke, go ahead. Was that what you were gonna say? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Continue, Willie. No, no that, that's all I had on that. I mean, I, I've i never had a negative interaction with uh, a CO in any state. I've been checked in multiple states. Um, I've even, there was even one time I could have got a ticket. I uh, was duck hunting, got back to the boat launch, and they were there uh, really just shooting the shit. Yeah. You know, didn't, didn't even check my license, which I had. Um, the only thing that he asked was, Hey, where's your life jacket? I turn around and the life jacket that I'd had in the kayak was back in the reeds across the lake where I'd been sitting <laughs> with it. And I say, shit, I said, it's over there. I said, you want me to like paddle over and get it? You know, and he, he could have gave me a ticket for, you know, being out there without a flotation device. And he said, no, don't worry about it. He goes, I believe that you left it because like, I was using it as a cushion for the bucket I was mm-hmm. sitting on. He's like, I believe you left it. He goes, I don't want you to paddle across the lake again without it, you know. So there are, you know, they have a lot of discretion and I've never had a negative interaction with one, but a lot of it comes down to how, how you act, right? If, if you start off confrontational, you know, if you you become an asshole, then all of a sudden, you know, 
they go, why is he being an asshole, right? What is he doing wrong, right? I think the, the way that you act and the way that you react has a huge... That's law enforcement in general. Yeah, I no, like. I was yeah. Like, it's the same as a traffic stop, man. If you're a dick, as soon as they walk up to the window, mm-hmm. they automatically fucking bro up and get like, well, why is this guy being an asshole? Well, well exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. in, in that situation, yeah. I sure the fuck would. Dude, you, mm-hmm. okay, you saw it at Connie's like two weeks ago. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's human nature, right? There, there's a human wearing that uniform, and how you react to that human has a huge part in how they react to you. Well, exactly. Like, you know, the the guys that uh, that came to me with... So what happened was I shot a buck, right? And it was right when Michigan went to this base program bullshit. I don't want to call it bullshit because it's really not. It's kind of a cool program, and I, I kind of like it now that it's in place. It sucks because for a combo tag, we're spending 50 fucking dollars. But what, what what's that look for? Mr. Josh... Combo is forty. The base license is eleven. 11. Which, right? So it's like fifty-one. But you're going to buy your small game anyways, right? What I'm saying is, like back then, I looked at it like because I never like bought a small game license back in the day. Never bought a trapping license. Wasn't turkey hunting. Every once in a while, I would fish, but I'm talking pre fuck up, <laughs> <laughs> pre fuck up. So. Anyway, uh, switched jobs at the time. I, you know, I was with my ex, and she had three kids, and we had a big family, a lot of miles to feed. It was right when you know she was making ten dollars an hour cleaning houses, and I was making twelve dollars an hour working wherever. You know, so it was it was a struggle. So you know, fifty bucks or fifty one dollars for two deer tags. That's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? You know, I mean, that's the difference between eating. You know, hot dogs and Raymond noodles and giving the kids a decent meal, you know, so whatever. So I just didn't do it first time ever, you know, and sh- and uh, long story short, the a year later posted on Facebook about a buck I killed. DNR came, you know, addressed me about the situation. And I told them what happened, you know, like I was broke, couldn't afford it. I was honest. Mm-hmm. As honest as you can be. I tried to play stupid at first, but they call like tag. Well, I mean, you need, you need a tag to shoot this fucking thing. Nobody fucking told me that. Like I thought I was on private land. It was cool. He just looked at me and I'm like, <laughs> I know, I'm an idiot. So I fucked up, but I, but I was honest about it. And he told me he's like, you have no idea how many people we go to address this shit, and they slam the door in our fucking face. They don't answer the phone. They don't come to the fucking door. He's like, then it pisses us off. And that's when you get shit taken away. Dude, you know what mm-hmm. really saved your ass on that? You didn't slam the door. You talked to him. But when they said, we need to confiscate what's left, and you said, I done did ate it. It's gone. We needed it. Right. And that was that was the thing, too. He's like, well, we need to meet him. It was literally gone. I mean, mm-hmm. with all the kids and shit in the house, I mean, it was... Dude, we we would I would shoot three deer a year, and it'd be they'd be all gone by by July, mm-hmm. all of it. So, and I think they knew that I wasn't just some poaching asshole. And when I brought them the rack, and they already knew they do, surprisingly knew everything, which is weird because they do their research. But there wasn't much to do. Like that was they never talked to the landowners or anything. Like I, I was I was shocked at how they knew 
what I shot, what I shot it with, and the date I it's shot the it. Day of the internet, man. So by the way, and the only thing I can, I the only thing I sent was one photo to one person, and all it was was a selfie of me and my father with that deer with the top of the rack. That was the only thing I sent to anybody. Anybody. And they knew everything. So, And that was on Facebook Messenger. So just a heads up, if you're doing some shady shit, don't. But if you are, don't do it on Facebook Messenger because they will fucking track your ass down. Yeah, Mike Zuckerberg gives everybody everything. <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, just don't be an asshole, man. I I feel like mm -hmm. it, law enforcement in general, cops as well. I mean, it's, I've always my dad taught me that shit when I was young, man. It's like just if you get pulled over, there's nothing you say or do that's gonna change their mind. Like they pull you over, they're either gonna do A or B. They're gonna give you a ticket or they're not, and they know that before they walk up. As long as you have all your proper paperwork and blah, 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 blah. And don't be a dick. I was going to say, be nice just in case you have an yeah. illegal weapon in the vehicle. <laughs> I don't have that problem, Typekey. You don't have that problem. <laughs> you're, a, you're a good person. Why don't you move on before one of you incriminates yourself? <laughs> I've incriminated myself a lot on this podcast. Bert just edits the shit out. Right. I tried to anyway. But, yeah. Uh, so... God damn, Willie! I feel like this has been a shit show of an episode, just because. A little bit, you pinball. know, pinball has, effect. We've been all over the place. Well, pinball effect, just because I feel like I'm just chomping at the bits, man. It's been a minute since we actually like did a podcast and we're able to publish the motherfucker. God, that pisses me off. Hey, this this whole this whole plan was supposed to be: my brother comes in, we do a podcast. Then you come in, we do a podcast, and then my thing was eventually. We get all Tyfkies and all Ruffs in here, and it's just going to be a big fucking party, and we'll just have a giant fucking podcast together. But now i got to have my brother back in here again, because eh, the first okay. one didn't record. I like Bobby. Mm -hmm. It's all right. He's a good guy. He I likes do, to talk. I do, too, but, like, you know, it's it's pod, the, the the brilliance of podcasting is it's a fly in the wall, right, for, for these people. Yeah, no. Like, they, we're they, having a conversation, you know, kind of mm -hmm. off the cuff. Like, there was my show prepper was Elk Hunt Missouri Goose Hunt. Yeah, that was we it. didn't even touch on Missouri. Right, I mean, the which, fact that I almost left your ass there, which we can't. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ! I well, and it, <laughs> you know, if you want, I know you know we, we kind of started on the Wyoming elk hunt and, and then sidetracked a little bit into some of the other western hunts I'd done. But if you guys want to circle back to you know why Wyoming and, and why guided, you know we can go down that road a little bit. If Let's you want. do that because I'm curious. So. Why Wyoming? Um, I had a couple reasons, right? Um, it was a state I was very familiar with the regs from, you know, putting in for antelope points, mule deer points, things in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I'd been there. It's significantly less expensive than Montana, tag-wise. Um, and it was, I don't, it, it was an accessible state that I could get with, a, you know, a reasonable amount of points, beautiful country I wanted to hunt, and it wasn't Colorado. I do not want to elk hunt Colorado um, because every single person east of the Mississippi that's ever been out west elk hunting, you say, hey, where'd you go? They say, oh, I went to Colorado. They have over-the-counter tags. That's awesome. If every person east of the Mississippi is hunting elk in Colorado, I'm going somewhere else. Smart. Right? Um, and, I, and typically these trips take 
three or four years to plan anyways. So three or four years to get enough points is not a big deal. So I said, all right, we're going with Wyoming. I'm already buying points there. I already kind of know the country, right? And then, you know, when it, when it comes down to guided, you know, we, we touched on wilderness areas. Um, I don't think the area that we're going to be hunting in is actually a wilderness area, um, but I didn't know that when I was planning the hunt. So I, I try and take kind of a multi-pronged approach to hunting out west so that I can do as much of it as I can, right, mm-hmm. on, a, on a given budget, right? Everybody's got a budget they're trying to work within. And to maximize that, I go, okay, let's do something guided where it makes sense, and let's go DIY where I can. So kind of rough guidelines are deer and antelope, I'm going to go DIY, right, because logistics are easy. Elk and moose, I'm going to go guided, right, for logistics. Um, so I, I kind of started down that road, and... You know, growing up, if you read Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, any of that kind of stuff, right? Like the epitome of Western hunting, Western adventure was in the Rocky Mountains in a wall tent on horseback, right? I want to do that hunt. So I started looking at outfitters. Um, I had a list of of four or five I wanted to look at. And, uh, you know, a couple of them, they, they were all did wilderness horseback hunts out of wall tents. And doing that, I'm for sure going outfitted because, A, I don't have horses. And renting pack horses is a gamble at best. Right. And when it comes to, you know, buying wall tents and stove and getting all of that equipment seven plus, eight plus miles into the National Forest, you know, it's a logistical nightmare. And the cost of that equipment adds up so quickly that if you're only going to use it every three, four years, you know, it's going to take you forever to get a return on that investment, right? Where you can just pay Pay for the out service. Yeah. So logistics was the biggest factor, right? Getting in, having the equipment and having the livestock. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I ended up going archery, because that's what was available with the outfitter that I wanted, right? So I reached out to five or six of these outfitters, had conversations with a few of them, and I originally kind of pictured this as a rifle hunt. Um, and I, I, for whatever reason, I had in my mind that a rifle hunt had a better success rate. Um, but when I talked to the outfitters, there was one, I mean, I, I spent like 45 minutes on the phone with the owner and the head guide. There are three guides. Um, two of them are the owner and his son. Right? So it's not just an outfitter that's got a dozen guides working for him and he's going to assign you to somebody and you go. Right? Right. So I, I spent 45 minutes on the phone, like getting to know this guy and, and really, ha- you know, having an in-depth conversation. And I was like, hey, this is the, this is the guy I want to go with. Right? Because when you're doing an outfitted hunt on yourself, you know, by yourself, you're, you're really looking for someone that you don't mind hanging out with for a week, right? Because it's not like you're taking your best friend and right. if you don't know anybody else in camp, you can still hang out with them, right? But so Bobby said, you know, when we talked yeah. to him, the same thing. He's oh. like, he, he had a great relationship with his guide. He's like, you know. Oh, yeah. And it, Bobby said yeah. he went back out there and they they booked him to. Just, just literally last week, they just went back out for uh the same place in Montana, the just same like, bear guide he just went out with. Camping, horseback riding. Horseback riding, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And most of those guys do in the summer. They'll do pack trips, you know, if you want to take your family camping in the mountains or horseback mm. riding or whatever. Um, so, you know, you, you want somebody that you don't mind hanging out with for a week. Because if you get out there, you're on your own, and the guy doesn't want anything to do with you or you guys don't get along, it's going to be a miserable week, right? It's going to suck. I feel like they got to be people, people, people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it. Like, I don't know how to I know, it real well. Well, I mean, just if, you, if you're a guide for whatever it is, man, it's like, I know how to kill this thing. I'm really good at it. Mm-hmm. This is why I got this job. And then you got, you're guiding for people that are on the same, like, almost the same level as you. And there's people that are a couple steps back and are just kind of teaching some stuff. And there's the people that are just straight up snowflakes. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can well, you go fucking imagine? <laughs> and and that's, you know, I, so I, I've talked to quite a few guides over the years traveling different places. And they've all said that's the hardest part of their job, right? Like, most of them can go out in the, in the mountains. And if it's just them, they know they're going to kill an elk. Because, like, look, right. I can hike 10 miles a day. I can shoot an elk at 400 yards with my rifle, right? Like, And I, I know where they are because I spend, you know, 100 days a year in the mountains. I'll kill an elk by myself, right? But the the client is is the hardest part of that because they're like, we don't know who shows up. It could be a rich yeah. asshole that is going, look, I paid a bunch of money. You're going to do everything for me. And, I, you know, if I don't come back with an elk, I'm going to be pissed, right? Right, because I feel like, you know, even, even my brother thought when he went out for this bear hunt, he was like, well, it's going to be, you know, we've been watching these bears forever and we're just going to hike up, and which mm-hmm. isn't what he wanted, yeah. which isn't what he wanted, but he was just like still, mm-hmm. you know, like it's kind of what I thought it was. It was like a guaranteed thing, mm-hmm. which is why we always kind of avoided it, but not that at all. I mean, you're still in the shit, you know? Yeah, and that's, I think that's a misconception a lot of people have, you know, that, that have never hunted out west is that, you know, they've kind of got one tied down for you on the hill out there. Yeah. And there's a definite advantage in having someone who knows the country and has scouted it because... Let's face it, it takes me 24 hours to drive out there. There is no possible way that I'm going to be able to pre-scout that area. Well, the thing is, like, even e-scouting. You see the terrain, not the animals. Yeah. Right. That's what you're looking at. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're yeah. looking at you're looking at places where you can you can get to, hike to reasonably reasonably close, you know, and, mm-hmm. and glass. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest thing, you know, no matter what you're going for, you need to be able to fucking see, right? Yeah. And I, and I've had good luck with that, right? So we we don't get an animal every trip that that I've been out west, right? Um but every year, so last year I took a friend out from Mule Deer in Wyoming to a unit I had never set foot in. The first night we had the biggest mule deer I'd ever seen walk by us at 5 yards. Um, oh shit! The reason we didn't get it is because we were sitting in a sleet storm. His rifle was under his poncho, and he kind of came from my direction. And, and you, like, you can only <laughs> yell so loud, like, "Hey, dude, there's the buck!" Without scaring the buck, right? right? Um, and mule deer is so impressive, dude. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Like, a, like a big white tail. Maybe it's just because we're so used to them. I guess. I don't well, know. things just, like, but like that, that, that's that's a majestic creature for sure. But like when you see a big, a big mule deer. Yeah, I mean, think like white tail and a half, right? Right, that, right. That, that's what it is, right? We're, we're going to have a 200-inch one running around here this year. But, you know, white tail. It's like, <laughs> okay. You confused you know, me for a quick second. Every time I've gone out there, we, we've been in animals, right? So when I when I went to Idaho for archery, um, 
I, I'd been through Idaho, right? So when I lived in Salt Lake, I worked in Utah, Nevada, Idaho, and Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd been through the state. I'd never set foot in that national forest I was hunting. With, with enough e-scouting, I dropped into a unit, and the second day, we found elk, right? When I went out for antelope, that was an area I'd been to. I knew antelope were everywhere, but I e-scouted that unit, and on the first day, we were in antelope, right? So I've had great luck kind of doing the homework and then getting out there and getting into animals. And sometimes, you know, shot doesn't line up or something. Um, so you can do a lot of that. But, you know, like I said, there, there's definitely an advantage to having a guy that knows the terrain. Oh, yeah. But it, it's absolutely still a hunt, right? You're, you're still climbing the mountain. Mm-hmm. You still have to find the animals, spot the animals, right? Put the stock on um, and make, and make the it shot. Out. Make the shot. Yeah. You know, it's... It just which doesn't sound that complicated, but uh, uh, it is, man. Make the shot. Yeah, well, and especially coming from around here, you know, if you're a rifle hunter going out west, mm. you know, 300 yards really isn't that far. But most most folks that hunt east of the Mississippi, we have trouble finding a rifle range that goes beyond 100 yards. I was right? just gonna say, like, just finding the room to practice when we before we went out to Wyoming was a bitch. Yeah, and the, when you get out there. First of all, if you're hunting an open area that is sagebrush, judging distance is not a thing anymore, right? Right. There, there's nothing that you're used to to scale that distance. You can look at an animal that you think is 100 yards, that's 500. Oh, we would. We all had rangefinders, you, know, you know, when we went out to Wyoming. And, and what was your margin error? Did you ever look at oh, dude, guess? By like 400 yards. Yeah. By four, three, five sometimes. It was like, oh, and it was dumb shit. Like, how, how far do you think that rock is? Yeah. And you're looking at it and you're like, oh, I don't know, 200 yards? Yeah. 550. Yeah. You know, just shit like that. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing to, there's no comparison because there's no, there's no trees. There's just, it's just empty. <laughs> you yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, it, it throws you off. And then even in Wyoming, or I'm sorry, Montana, you know, even out there, it, there's, there's plenty of trees. But, you know, when you're looking over a valley, or across the valley, rather. Same thing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. 200 it, yards? It, it, 500 yards? 700 yards? It doesn't matter, yeah. man. Like, I, I looked at antelope when we were out in Wyoming, and I'm like, ah, well, take that one. It's 200 yards away. And he pulled up his rangefinder. He's like, uh, it's like 860. Like, what the, what the fuck? Really? Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a big part of it, but it's guide, going on a guided hunt out west is very different than a guided whitetail hunt where somebody has preset tree stands right. and pre-scouted or you're sitting over a feeder in texas and they're oh. like go sit in this stand and as long as you're quiet and you're not moving a bunch a big buck is probably going to walk by sometime today right it like doesn't matter what it is if it's whitetail black bear like like if you're like out west versus east is totally different if you go up in the up or to canada and you go on a black bear hunt Mm-hmm. 90% of those have them over bait, and they're like, pick your stand. Yeah. These the, bears are coming into this stand at this time. The, the, there are a couple reasons for that. So, you know, out west. It's the density of the forest and yeah. the openness of the west. I understand that, but it people don't grasp that. It's, it's so different. Yeah. And, you know, out west, it's easy to spot and stalk bears because they are out in avalanche chutes and, and, and some of the berry patches and stuff. Where in the east, you know, you've got that dense forest, like you said. Um, 
Yeah, the spot and stalks pretty much out of the question around you know in the UP or anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. well, no, it, it doesn't work. There, there's yeah, I mean, also you can't, you can't unless you're running dogs or doing bait. There's no way to get a bigger set up camp yeah. on a lake and have a bear tag. Go fishing, <laughs> clean your fish at the camp every night. Right. Well, and th- there are some really good arguments, you know, just from a, a conservation tool for hunting over bait, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing spot and stalk in a dense forest. You know, and you see a bear, you've got a really quick decision to make whether or not you're going to shoot that bear. Which is which is not good because, I mean. It's hard to tell a boar from a sow. I was going to say, you got to tell mm-hmm. a boar from a sow. And is she a wet sow? Yeah. Does she have cubs? Yeah. You know, there's a there's a lot. you got to. So my brother, y'all didn't get to hear it. But he was talking about his last bear hunt. We're going to have Bobby back on, by the way. We got to. There's just too much information. But he, he was talking about a. a one of the stalks they went on, and he he had the bear dead to rights, and I'm trying to remember. I think he had a broadside. It was it was one of the ones. I think it was the one he shot, and ended up not finding because of how he shot it. But basically, had the thing right on his shoulder and was ready to go. And all of a sudden, the guy was like, you know, heard him flipped off the safety. He was like, no, 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 because he didn't know if it was a legal oh, bear yet. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was a cinnamon bear, which looked like a grizzly. So yeah. he had to make sure, A, it wasn't a grizzly. So that's out of the question. Is it a sow? Is it a wet sow? Does it have cubs? Like, there's a lot of sh- And they are, the guide is 100% responsible for that bear being killed. So if my mm-hmm. brother, you know, shot a bear that wasn't legal, he's liable. Yeah. So, I mean... Just, just saying, like for bears, especially, there's so much shit, and for like a split second decision, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of times when you're doing a guided bear hunt, you know, whether it's northern Michigan, Maine, Canada, wherever, um, even some of the southern states, you know, uh, you're you're kind of paying in the same way that I'm paying for logistics to get a camp out into the mountains. You're paying for the logistics of them running bear bait for two, three weeks before right. you get there, right? Because if you lived up there, you wouldn't need a guide. You'd draw, you you know, you'd get your bear tag and you'd haul your four-wheeler out or, or pack bait in and you'd run your bait site for three weeks. And then when season opened, you'd go, hey, I've got these four bears coming into bait. This is the one I'm really after. And you'd go sit and you'd shoot your bear. But if you're hunting somewhere that is eight, 12 hours from home, you're not going to drive there every three days to, to do a bait station, right? So right. You're, you're essentially paying for a place to stay and someone to, to run that bait station, right? They're not hunting for you. You're paying for the logistics. Right. But, you know, what I was getting at is a Western spot and stock hunt is, is very different than, you know, like I say, a, a, a stand hunt where – Someone says, hey, you know, we've got tree stands set. You know, if the wind is this way, you're sitting in this one. If the wind is this way, you're sitting right. in that one. Just go sit, right? And they've kind of done that work for you. When you get out west, even if they know the area, they're like, yeah, the elk are probably on this mountain. Okay, they narrowed it down to a mountain, right? Right. You, you're still going to hike 10 miles it's a day. still up to you. you got to be in shape, be able to keep up, be mm-hmm. able to get there, be, make the shot. Yeah. And that's, you, you know, that's one of the things they, they talk about before you go out there is, you know, your success rate depends a lot on how good a shape you're in because the, the guide's not there to take you on a death march, right? If, right. if you're, if you're older or you're out of shape, 
they'll hike so you can keep up. Well, like even my brother said when we had him on, he was like, you know, because I was really curious about the guide thing. Like between the two of us, that was our first ever guided trip ever. So I was just, I was all about it. Like, so, so like, anyway, he was basically saying like, you know, same thing you just said. Basically, they'll hunt how you want to hunt. If you want to climb, we'll climb. If you want to fucking just walk logging roads, we'll walk logging roads. This mm-hmm. was a bear hunt, so but yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, same kind of thing. Just yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's your hunt. You're paying us, so we'll do whatever you want to do. But I feel mm-hmm. like you're doing yourself a huge disservice if you go into a guided hunt in North America, no matter what it is, unless it's whitetail, because that's just sit and wait. But mm-hmm. other than whitetail. You know, you're doing yourself a huge disservice if you don't at least, you know, fuck, run for 30 miles, not 30 miles, but 30 minutes, three days a week. Yeah. Just something. Just something to get mm-hmm. your blood pumping, get your get your cardio yeah. up. Because when you get out in those mountains, and I've seen it, like, Ray, I love you, and I'm not trying to call you out. <laughs> I'm not. Dude, that dude, that Ray Cole, I'm going to start this by saying this, Ray Cole is one of the toughest son of a bitches i've ever met in my entire fucking life and i mean that in every sense of the word he is he is a tough human being we went out to wyoming and he he didn't train he wasn't prepared Mm -hmm. and he admits that you know and uh dude day two he was limping like i couldn't walk his calves are cramping Mm -hmm. up so fucking bad his piss was orange And, and it wasn't like we were drinking you know, we had a couple bush lights out there or whatever, but mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, we, only reason we even had those is because we were so close to the truck, but it wasn't like there was a gas station a half mile away to go get more beer. Yeah. You would drive two hours to go get beer. Yeah. You know? Didn't your buddy Josh have that problem? Calves just like locking up on the last day? No. You're, you're thinking of something different. Turner? It happens though, man. You, like yeah. your shit gets so dehydrated out there. Yeah, and, and especially just because the altitude. Well, and a lot of it is w- when you're when you're doing something, and you're not necessarily thinking of drinking water because it's not always hot, right? I mean, in September it might right. be it might be fifty degrees and just beautiful Dude. weather to go for a hike, and you don't feel yourself sweating, but you're still going through a ton of water. You know, I've had a lot of trips where I always have a, a camelback. And, you know, if, if I go for a run around here, I think it holds a liter of water. Um, I can suck through that liter in, in one run, no problem. Right. Right. And I've gone on trips out West where, you know, I'm drinking out of my Nalgene bottle or something else at camp, but that one water bladder will last me three days of hiking. And when you get to that point, you go, Oh shit! I'm not drinking enough water because right. I, I I'm consuming this much per day and I'm not replenishing it. I, right? I feel I feel like cold weather situations are more dangerous for that. Like like yes. you just said, like you don't feel like you're sweating, but you are, and you're, and you're exerting yourself, and you need to drink. Mm-hmm. But archery season, I don't feel like you're going to be super cold. Yeah, and early rifle season, you're not going to be super cold. And everybody's different, right? I mean, some people guzzle water constantly, mm-hmm. and other people can go all day without drinking a glass of water and don't realize they haven't drank anything. Right. right. So some of it's you know up to the person too. Right. Like just a normal day around here in the summertime, I'll drink a gallon of water, mm-hmm. easy. You know. Yeah. But people that I don't know, are you are you pop drinker? I've no. never seen you drink pop, but no. Unless it's you know, mixed with something. 
I don't. Which is still pretty rare, honestly. I don't drink mm-hmm. it mixed with anything. No, I don't drink pop. It's, it's just just straight booze or just straight JMO. <laughs> <laughs> I mix my whiskey with ice. That's about it. <laughs> Unless you're doing a podcast, I get all fucking fancy. Look at you banging shit. Well, on that note, so you get all fancy with fucking vermouth and. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, being being prepared to go out there is is a huge part of it, right? Because they're like, hey, you know, you need to show up. A ready to hike, be will, you know, being able to shoot, and then show up, you know, with your equipment in check, right? Don't buy a brand new pair of boots right Dude. before you go, and don't break them in, right? If you're hunting with a pack, you should probably throw some weight in that pack and wear it before you get out there, right? Willie, I like you. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, dude, that, that's awesome because I was literally just going to get to that point. Like, my my problem my personal experience when I went up to Wyoming, mm-hmm. we all bought the same pack. Uh, my brother was the only one that could afford to just drop what the fuck he was doing and be like, I'm going to go buy a new pack. And mm-hmm. drove fucking two hours in the town to go buy a new one. Because, you know, dude, you just you need to test your shit. Because I didn't. I thought mm-hmm. it was all good to go. I kind of got it all packed up, threw it on for a minute. I'm like, oh, this feels good. Mm-hmm. No, walk with the son of a bitch. And yeah. walk uphill. Walk downhill because there's 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 pressure points that pinch you certain ways that you're gonna need to get figured out. And if you can't, then you need need a different pack. Yeah, you just straight up like Dude, your I'm, pack is the most important part of your gear, one hundred percent, because your shoulders were burned to the point where you can't fucking take it anymore. Yep, and good packs Man, are I, adjustable in every way. When you spend good money, that's what you're paying for is a pack that's adjustable. To fit your body exactly. As far as most important gear, I disagree with you. I think it's boots. Boots too. You're you're absolutely right. I think think they're tied. I think they're tied. I I definitely think they're tied. Not not trying to Mm -hmm. undercut you, but well, no, because our trip our trip to Montana, dude, my boots got wet day two, and that sucks. So day one, it. I'm sorry, it was no it. It was day one because it was it was hotter than shit. It was eighty degrees. I had my shirt off. I remember we were we were trout fishing, and yeah, I I caught I saw the bro picks. That's fine. <laughs> I caught the uh, the biggest steelhead. I'm sorry, biggest uh, trout. Uh, sorry, no, it's just in levels. Uh, uh, rainbow trout, damn near steelhead level that I've ever caught. And uh, I thought that was Mama for a minute. It's yeah. a Chevy, not a Dodge, bro. Well, they were slowing down. They were looking all weird. Black truck. Also not a I'm adjusting level. I am distracted. I am a distracted <laughs> man right now. <laughs> anyway, what I was getting at is, is, is I caught the biggest uh, rainbow trout ever, right? In my, it was like 17 inches. It was big. Mm-hmm. I'm fighting her. And I get her to the edge, and I, I'm not going to lose her, right? Mm-hmm. So I jump down kind of in the creek, but not really. Just enough <laughs> to get my feet wet. Which, if we're at home, not a big deal. Come home, throw my shit on, on the boot dryer. Good to go the next day. Mm-hmm. We're out in the middle of fucking nowhere in Montana. Yeah. And I did that, and I was like, oh, that was, that, that was stupid. That was pretty stupid. Because then I went I went back to camp, and I didn't gut the fish by the camp. Like my brother tries to claim I did. Because <laughs> you guys didn't get to hear it. <laughs> but, but, uh... Was it the one of seven? <laughs> right. We caught a lot of fish that night. Uh, it, but, but, dude, my boots would not dry out. 
Like the next day, I tried to put them back on, and I was fucked. I had I didn't have a different pair of boots. I had nothing. Yeah. Gordy Gordy Carwright, my man. That dude was like, dude. I got an extra pair of boots. Here you go. And if it wasn't mm-hmm. for that, I would have had a miserable fucking trip. Yeah. I always pack two pair of boots. Even even if you've got to take like a pair from last year that you broke in and you're like, hey, they're getting kind of wore down. Throw it in the truck because then it gives you a day or two to, to, for your other ones to dry. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I always have a second pair of boots. Um, I've gotten to the point where I really don't wear cotton. Everything is, is wool. Um, especially socks, right? If you've got a, a good pair of wool socks, and I'm not talking about this itchy military surplus shit that's going to... Merino you know, wool? Yeah, good merino. I mean, two pairs of those socks will get you through an entire week of hunting in the mountains. Right. You know, so just having the basics is, is good, but, you know, preparing to go out there, it's the little stuff that, that you don't get, right? Because there's a lot of people that are like, hey, I'm going to be ready. Like, they, they'll do some running and things like that, but... Like the the rifle that I carried on that antelope hunt, you know, because we weren't doing a ton of hiking until I drove up to Mont- to Idaho to try and uh, finish filling that elk tag. It weighs nine and a half pounds. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot of weight, but when's the last time somebody <laughs> walked around with a nine and a half pound dumbbell in their hand no all day? No shit, right? That is um, no bullshit. That the you, rifle is. I'm sorry, not, not trying to interrupt you, but yeah, the, yeah. The, your rifle choice and, and the sling and everything, dude, it, very important. Yeah, e- even a bow, right? My my bow might weigh five pounds, but if you shoot in the backyard every night and you you know you hold your bow and you, you shoot some arrows and you set it down, mm-hmm. when's the last time you took your bow on a hike and carried that damn thing for two hours, right? What? It's only five pounds, but if it's five pounds in your hand constantly all day, the next day your forearm feels it, right? So... Go out and shoot these 3D courses. You know, there there's one not far from my house. It's a it's a 30 target 3D course. Costs five bucks to shoot it. You know, even if you don't necessarily shoot every target, because I'm kind of fighting a shoulder injury, right? So sending 30 arrows in a row is is a little tough for me right now. Um, it forces you a to walk. You know, typically on uneven terrain, shoot some different angles, odd distances, uphill, downhill. And it forces you to carry your shit for a mile and a half, two miles, right? And you, right. Pr- you figure out pretty quick, hey, you know, my boots aren't broken. Hey, you know, I got to figure out a better way to carry this. Or, oh, I haven't done enough shooting uphill. Well, right? there's no, there's nothing worse than figuring that shit out when you're on the mountain. Yeah. You know, because then you're fucked. You're there. Yeah. You know. And, you know, we're, we're somewhat limited in what we can do, right? We don't have mountains around here that you can go climb, right? You, you can't get to elevation. We got dunes right there. But, you know, <laughs> there's hills you can walk up, right? We got dunes. Um, you know, so there's a lot that can simulate that. And, and just being ready to go makes a huge difference. You know, I, I was listening to another podcast uh, last week, I think it was, about kind of mountain fitness. Mm-hmm. And, and they were talking about, you know, there's typically three guys that, that show up to mountain elk camp, right? The guy who did nothing, who just sat on the couch all summer, and he's not going to do well. No, nah, he's fucked. The guy who, who ran all summer, and like, that's great. It's better than nothing. And then the guy that went to the gym and just started lifting weights, right? Just doing the bodybuilder thing because he didn't know what else to do. They're all going to suffer at some point, right? Because the guy that ran all summer, his cardio is great. But as soon as he puts a pack on, even with... 40 pounds in it and tries to go uphill his legs are screaming right right the guy that lifted all summer he's like oh i got a 40 pound pack right no big deal 
but put him at 8,000 feet and ask him to walk and he's sucking wind, you know, in five Dude, minutes, right? So yeah. you, you've got to have a combination of some kind of leg strength with some cardio, you know, and, and, and have that gear tested, right? And, you know, you're going to spend good money on a hunt and you want it to be enjoyable. You're going to be out there for a week, right? So, so take the summer to prep for this stuff. And, and that's kind of what I've been doing, right? You know, it's just going, hey, you know, be ready, be ready to hike, be ready to shoot and have your gear squared away. And, you know, the other part of this is it, it's a horseback hunt. Right. I've ridden horses before, right? I've done some trail rides, some rides around the farm, stuff like that. But in no way would I ever consider myself a horseman. <laughs> Me you know, neither. If, <laughs> if you are, are paying a guide to go on a horseback hunt, you know, it's kind of the, the guide's responsibility to have good stock and and pair you up with a horse that matches your ability, right? They, where horse, the, the, horses or mules? Horses. Because I, I know there are a lot of people that use mules in the mountains. That would make me nervous. Just going on straight horses yeah. in the mountains, I'd be like, man, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Allie, I love you, and horses are very beautiful creatures. But they are not nearly as sure-footed as mules in the shale. Thank you, Willie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, the the great thing about mules is they have a self-preservation instinct. You can train a horse to run off a cliff if you want to ride it off a cliff. Exactly. Yeah. If that mule thinks he's going to die, there is no way you will ever force that mule to run off that cliff. And mules, too, like I've, I've heard, they, they're like more like dogs. Like they, they imprint, like, you know, like this is my person. I'm going to take care of my person. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like in an operation like that, that doesn't, that doesn't really apply, but it's still the same mm-hmm. concept, you know, like what you said, like they're more sure-footed, so they're not going to like... Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys want to listen to some funny shit, and I don't often plug my old podcast, but uh, Racks, Fur, and Feathers, look up David Kennedy. He told the story that was just about horseback riding in the mountains for elk. I did it was fucking hilarious. And just... Yeah. It, uh, I'm nervous for you, Willie. Mo- <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous so, for you. I, I, I'll, I'll admit, most folks that regularly ride horses in the mountains get to know an orthopedic surgeon at some point in their life. Oh, Jesus. Because either the horse rolls over on them and they're going to rebuild a knee, or they get bucked off and they're going to rebuild a shoulder, right? So that, that that's kind of what I'm getting at, right? There, <laughs> There's some dual responsibility there, right? The outfitter owes it to you. To have good stock that is used to being in the mountains, used to being ridden in the mountains, and to do their best to pair up personalities, right? Because horses and people each have a personality, and sometimes they clash, you know, right? So they owe it to you to put you on good stock. But you also owe it to them, you know, if you just spent thousands of dollars and, and you expect to spend the next seven days on this horse, it should not be the first time that you ever got on a horse, right? If you, you know, you spent gobs of money on a bow or a rifle and a good pack and clothes spend a little bit of money on a couple riding lessons right get get some yeah. saddle time right that's so that who, that's kind of your so who you side of riding, that. riding lessons with we have a couple of friends in the area that have horses Ooh, and uh I kind of I, I kind of raised the flag I already went down that road a, about a month ago <laughs> and I said hey guys I got about half a dozen friends with horses, you know, who's got, you know, just an old trail horse, whatever, <laughs> that I can go ride around the arena, ride around the trail, mostly to get my ass and legs in shape. But, but dude, 
that's, that's a thing. Like knowing what I know about horses now since being with Allie, like the like an old trail horse. You say that, but you never really know what the fuck you're getting into, man. Well, yeah. Okay, so get closer to your mic. <laughs> he he asked me about that, and I was like, okay, well, Allie's pregnant, and she's not taking you on a trail ride, but you should go talk to this person. She she would at least give you some without taking you on a physical ride if it came down to it she could she could at least tell you some shit be like you know if they do this don't do this yeah you know if they do this do this i still think you should talk to Allie about all that stuff because different perspectives are great Mm -hmm. yeah but as far as like riding with someone i put you with the person that i thought was capable of giving you one-on-one and being on the horse at the same time yeah i mean that that's so there's a couple of things I was looking for, right? One was, you know, the the way that I've always understood it, and again, I am not a stockman by by any stretch of the imagination. When you're riding a horse properly, your legs should be a little bit sore and your ass should be a little bit sore. Then why does my groin always hurt? If it's because you sit on your butt. If, if all of the pain is in your legs or all of the pain is in your ass, your stirrups are not adjusted right. 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 So there's some there's some stamina there where you're using muscles in a different way than you normally do. And if I'm going to go do this for seven days in a row, you know, I still got to be able to hike 10 miles a day. What makes me nervous is just knowing horses now, after being with Allie, is horses are all trained different. Yeah. I had a bad experience, and it was my last experience on a fucking horse, was a couple of Easter's mm-hmm. ago when I rode... Somebody's horse's horse. Somebody horse's horse that we talked about on the podcast before that they didn't train their horse for leg commands. Mm -hmm. At least I was told that anyway, because everything, you know, so Allie teaches her horses, you know, you squeeze your legs, they stop. Mm -hmm. Not this motherfucker. You squeeze your legs and he's like, just bed up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know what to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that being said, like, if it, that shit makes me nervous. And on top of the fact that you're sitting on top of a thousand pound animal mm-hmm. and they basically decide whether you live or die. Jump. Yeah. Yeah, dude, fuck that shit. I well, don't like that at all. And and that's one of the things that, that that will make me nervous, right, is I don't like looking over a cliff edge, right, especially if I'm a couple feet up on a horse. Right? Yeah, you're afraid of heights, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, you were. Yeah. So, <laughs> it... Uh, <laughs> It can make you nervous, right? But, you know, part of it is, you know, trusting the horse to get where they got to go. Right? I don't trust that horse. You don't know that damn horse. But <laughs> Brent, shut up. <laughs> one of the things that, that you look for in an outfitter is, do you own your own stock? Right. Right. Because some of these guys only run the elk season, and they they rent whatever horses from the local rancher. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're getting, right? Um, the guys I'm going with own their own stock. They've had these horses for, for multiple years, right? They don't take one into the mountains the first year they have it. Right. And they use them year-round, you know, because they, they hunt in the fall, elk and mule deer. And then in the summer, they'll take families up and do, like, horseback rides and, and pack trips. So they've gotten to the point where they know the horses' personalities and they can kind of pair them up with, with the right people. And they know how these horses behave in their and the horses have also but been... But what if he's hung over that morning and puts you on the wrong damn horse? Uh, my my understanding is that <laughs> I'm you not ride trying... the same horse all week. Okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to put like a... <laughs> I'm not trying to scare you. But like in my head, that's exactly what I'd be thinking. I'd be like, man, you... 
Did you have your coffee this morning? Man, I would imagine. Yeah. Did you have your eight hours of sleep? <laughs> Are you sure that this horse is going to be okay for me? In the fucking mountains? Yeah. Like, out here, I'm scared to fucking death. Like, like what? Like, Mr. Josh. <laughs> hold, hold on. Our, our, our resident equine expert's about to weigh in. Right. What do you have to say, Josh? What you got there? I ain't saying shit. Okay, that's probably a smart move. What? I was going to say, Mr. Cowboy over here. Your fiance's got plenty of horses, and I've told you flat out, I ain't getting on another fucking horse in my life. Dude, If I, I think I've said it before. If I if I die without ever getting on another horse for the rest of my life, I mean, I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll be fucking fine. Dude, I'll die a happy man. Dude, horses are like dogs. I love dogs, but dogs are dumb. Listen, like, horses are cool. Like, the horses at the barn, are like they all have personalities, and I, I do like interacting yep. with them, but I don't want to sit on them. Cool. That, that's my standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, I can sit on something with, a like, you got a thousand-pound animal. I've got a 500-pound machine with a motor that I control right. what it does when it does it. Mm-hmm. Right. You think you control what that 1,000-pound animal does until it gets an attitude and says, fuck you. Right. That would be like, you know, I love my dogs, yeah. Hustler and Hank. But that would be like me. Like, I love Hustler, and he does what I do, what I say to do most of the time. But that would be like me putting a saddle on Hustler and expecting him to do what he's supposed to do when he sees a fucking rabbit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with me on his back. It's like you mm-hmm. fuck that. Well, I mean, you've got to have some kind of risk there to keep it interesting, right? Because we'll be at a high high enough elevation. <laughs> we don't have rattlesnakes. Um, they said they don't they don't really have grizzlies in in their hunt area we yet. It's just black bears. We need something so, to keep our adrenaline up. Yeah, so I think the the, the biggest factor here is going to be the horse, right? I mean, the your, your biggest uh, life or death type of thing is am I going to roll down the mountain? Dude, you have. More balls than I do because so, there's no fucking way I would do that. Your biggest on life or death is like, can you jump off that horse in time when it decides to go over the cliff or not? Probably not. Hey, don't bury your stirrups. I don't know if they told you that because I almost fucked up once. Yeah, yeah. No, stay on your toes. Yeah, stay on your toes. The ball of your foot. Like dating a horse girl at the time, she wasn't my fiance yet, but like I didn't fucking know. Like nobody ever told me. I just like, well, you just bury your shit in there, right? You just mm-hmm. fucking get the balls of your foot. Well. She let me tack up my own horse, like put for those of you who don't know, like put the saddle on and shit. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the fuck I was doing, dude. I had no fucking idea. I got a hundred yards from the barn, and me and the saddle went. Yep, and <laughs> I fell off, but my I couldn't get my my one foot out of the saddle. Yeah, and thank God that that horse decided that it was cool and it wasn't going to freak out. But yeah. This is this is me. Like I fell off, and he was facing, looking like at some jagged ass pine trees. Like I was gonna get fucked up if he. Did. <laughs> so the bird wouldn't be sitting here recording this podcast if that horse decided to take off. The, the worst story I ever heard. Um, I, I I heard secondhand. So th- this is not my personal experience. Um, we talked to a cowboy out west who had been rounding up cattle on horseback. Mm-hmm. He he was putting them in some kind of corral pen, something like that, and one foot got caught in the fence as he was like closing it. The other got caught in the stirrup, and it ripped his um uh it ripped the bone out of his pelvis, like pulled that ball socket apart. He was several miles from a vehicle. So the only way he could get back was to just take his belt off, wrap it around his pelvis, and cinch it down all the way. 
once he got a calm horse and ride that horse back to the truck and then drive himself to the ER. A fucking horse? With your, with your pet whistle? Oh, fuck that, dude. I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's better than fucking crawling, but Jesus Christ. I don't know. Yeah. I, might, I might crawl. So dude, When I, I get I, off I a think, horse, I can barely walk, and I'm intact. Yeah. I think I think that led to like a, a pelvic reconstruction surgery. I think it pulled it apart. Jesus Christ. On that note, does anybody else have anything else to add? We're at two hours right now. Yeah, I mean, we, we covered a lot of stuff, right? I mean, kind of dove into some of the, these western lands and a little bit of hunt prep for the elk hunt. And, um, I mean, we, there's plenty more we could have talked about. But Yeah, if you guys have any questions or whatever, obviously feel more than welcome to hit us up on Facebook or... We don't have an email, though. We I should no, set up an email. No, no, no email, no Instagram. We're you know, I had a, I had an email for RFF. Nobody ever fucking emailed us. So just fucking yeah. go to our I, Facebook and send us a message if you guys have any questions, <sighs> comments, criticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like you need to set up an Instagram, Bert. Maybe you should set up an Instagram. Fuck that. I don't even have a personal <laughs> one. Well, you yeah. can't say you don't. What? Well, I, I had one for RFF, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It's a complicated situation. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway. I don't do technology. That's your part. <laughs> Willie, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was it was a great time. Uh, fuck, got to do a lot of cool shit. I feel like next time we need to have both brothers on. Yeah. I'm offended you didn't even try the whiskey. I went and got you good shit. I didn't want to get sleepy. It's been a it's been a day. He's training for out west, man. He's just fucking... Not me. I'm, I'm training for a kid. That's why I'm drinking my ass off. How do you think I train for out west? Yeah. Drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same way he trains for life. Do you think I ran? No. Do you think I kept up? Yes. Anyway, I'm really fucking mad I didn't do those goddamn questions. I feel like this would have been a really good competitive episode. We probably would have had the same answer for every fucking question. Yeah, you guys probably would have been fucking tired anyway. All right. <laughs> we're out. We'll talk to you guys next time. All right, everybody, that's a wrap. So, as always, thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to share on any and all social media outlets. As hunting season approaches, we will be getting more and more guests in here and recording more frequently, so be looking forward to that. As always, all music and artwork is done by Shane Yoder, and this episode is brought to you by Ruff's Custom Carpentry, and all editing was done by me, Brent Ruff. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you next time.